Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Hello, women. Today, we are going to hear three incredible free birth stories of the absolutely divine Carly Moon, who truly moved the needle of what mainstream birth culture would define as even possible, really, in each one of her births. From a first free birth in her teepee in Oregon, to a footling breech birth with a whole lot of meconium, to a 45-minute long cord prolapse with even more meconium, all experienced entirely intuitively at home, of course without medical supervision. Carly has truly pushed the limits of what many women would be comfortable with, and she did so guided by the strong, intact knowing of an embodied mother. Carly is one of those epic women who chose free birth without ever having heard the term before or knowing anyone else on that path. She speaks about having never felt fear in her pregnancies or birth, despite being a self-proclaimed anxious person. Before we get into Carly's amazing story, I do want to remind you all that this is your last chance to enroll in the only round of the Blood Mystery School. We close enrollment this Sunday, February 18th, and there's just a few more days. The Blood Mystery School is our high-caliber live training for women who feel the calling to become sovereign fertility cycle coaches. Nancy Lucina and Kristen Hauser will walk you through an incredible life-changing medicine wheel to learn and master your own cyclical health as they teach you the skills and wisdom to support other women on their journeys to reproductive balance. You'll also become an embodied rite of passage facilitator and initiations guide so that you can truly be the wise woman of your community for the women and girls of all stages of life. The world needs radical conscious guides to help heal the massive and growing fertility epidemic. You can be one of them. You can do the world healing work while supporting your family and living in true alignment with your own physiology. The Blood Mystery School is waiting for you. And we have so many different avenues of payment plans so you can invest in yourself and your career right now. Just visit freebirthsociety.com slash school to learn more and enroll. The opening circle is next week. We will not be running this program in the same way next year, so please don't wait. All right, let's get into our episode today.
I'm so excited to be here with you. How old is your littlest one right now? 13 weeks. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your full story as much as we can cram in from beginning to end because you are one of the unique women that was already out there free birthing. You know, most of the women on this podcast, they heard about the concept on this show, which is so cool. And I know that women have always been doing this. And so finding women who just came up with it on their own is a super fun story for me to hear. Absolutely. And it was a, <clears throat> a wild thing for me. Like I had never even heard the term free birth until I found you guys and like started <laughs> tuning in to all of this amazing material. And so I had my first unassisted birth in my early 20s. I was 23 when I gave birth. And I had just moved from Atlanta to Oregon to be with my partner. Um, also, I refer to him as my partner and my husband. We're not legally married, so I like use both terms. So don't think that there's two people involved. Um, I get that question a lot. That's funny. <laughs> so yeah, I had moved away from literally everything I had ever known and loved in Georgia to be with this man who I fell madly in love with. And neither one of us had ever wanted kids when we got together. That was something appealing to both of us about each other is that like, that wasn't really something we were looking for. And as soon as I moved to Oregon to be with him, those mountains like really did something to my soul and it changed everything I thought I knew about myself. Um, we were living on the side of a mountain in a teepee, um, very raw, everything, everything was just raw and new and beautiful and open for me. So within like two weeks of living in Oregon, I was like, let's do this. I want to have a baby. <laughs> so two we weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, How um, much older I is he than you? He's only a year older than me, okay. um, which is unique because most of my past partners had been significantly older or significantly younger. And it was just beautiful finding someone like, you know, my age. And uh -huh. um, I was in college when we met and we met at a Grateful Dead festival and then fell in love on the side of the hill when I was trimming weed. And um, yeah, it was just such a huge shift in my life. I mean, I literally changed as a person and really like came into myself and was finding myself. So I was in school when we met, I was like, Hey, let me go back to Georgia, finish this degree. I sh crammed a year's worth of classes into six months so I could get out there and be with him as soon as possible. I graduated June 16th and June 24th, I pulled into Oregon with my car, my dog and everything I could fit in that car. And that was it. Like that <laughs> new life began. Right. And then how, how so, quickly from that did you call in a pregnancy? Um, it took us five months. And so I was very concerned actually for a little while. I was like, man, if you're really trying, right. Like how long could it, really take. And so after getting five cycles, I would just sob and was just so brokenhearted over it. And, but I also knew that like the divine timing of things would definitely come into play in such a huge situation in my life. So 
we were patient, obviously. We were diligent with trying, and I eventually got pregnant. Um, we had not even been together a year, I don't think, right. when I found out I was pregnant. It was a very new relationship, but we knew. like, We knew we were going to grow old together and that we wanted to make a baby. And we really planned for him, but he was our like one and done, we thought. <laughs> so when I first found out I was pregnant... I went to the local clinic and mind you, I was brand new to this area. I did not have a community. My mom and my sister and all of my girlfriends were here on the East coast, which I'm back here now in Florida. Um, and it was really difficult taking that journey by myself without having female support, but it was the most introspective time in my life. I literally hold up in our teepee. And for the majority of my pregnancy, um, we lived completely outside um, on a piece of raw land that we bought right when we found out I was pregnant. I found out in November, we bought a piece of raw land in December and then spent my entire pregnancy just like rocking a teepee and an outfitter's tent. And I basically spent that entire time. Um, I wasn't working or anything. So I got to spend that entire time educating on myself on like potential outcomes of the birth and all of that. Before I got to that point, though, I had gone to the local clinic and, you know, they gave me a pregnancy test. This woman established herself as my OB, yada, yada, the same old story and dance. Well, when I call OHP, Oregon Health Plan, to get on insurance to hopefully cover some of the cost, OHP was like, well, who's your OB? And when I said the woman's name, they said, she's not an OB, she's an RN. And I have never felt so violated. I don't, I'm, that's not the right word, but like, I was just stunned. Like, why would someone lie during such like a tender time in your life? So they sent me home with a brown paper bag full of condoms and plan B. Oh my God. And even though I told them, like, I was trying, like, this was an intentional pregnancy. And it was just a really nasty, ugly feeling and situation. And as soon as I came out of that appointment, and I'm like sobbing with my brown paper bag, and you know, my husband's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's plan B. And they're like, he's like, did what? So like, yeah. So in that moment, in the van, in the parking lot of the clinic, he was like, so should we just do this on our own? And I was like, yep. And that was it. Early I mean, 20s. We had it doesn't. Yeah. Like the TP on the raw land. It doesn't really track <laughs> with, like, <laughs> with like ultrasounds and obstetrics. No. No. No, for sure. But I had, I had zero knowledge and because I had totally. never wanted to give her, I was just so green to the whole situation. Totally. And like my sister has three kids. I didn't get to be present for any of her births. I've still never attended a birth to this day other than my own. And so I was just, I was pretty clueless yeah. about the situation, but intuitively, like I knew something was very wrong when the doctor lied to me. Like that just seems completely unacceptable to me you mean the nurse yes thank you you know what, it, so, what okay I'm in no way shape or form defending her but what could have occurred is that RNs will work under obstetrical licenses and so it 
it it could have been that she was within a practice that you were assigned to that did have an OB. Do you know what I mean? But even though she yeah, wasn't totally. the OB, I don't know. Regardless. Yeah. It, yeah. It spooked me enough to get my ass out of there and never go back and know that like that was the end of that for me. And I also know that a lot of women, because when I have shared my story, a lot of women say, well, how do I get my partner on board with this? And I don't know how to answer that a lot of the times because my right. partner is the one who proposed the idea to me. So <clears throat> When he said that, should we just do it on our own? I'm like, absolutely, let's do this. So I spent the entirety of my pregnancy doing so much research and it was a really fine line for me, like educating myself versus getting hung up on things that could create fear within me because I was so young, I was so green to this. And so I really had to go through this crazy shedding process of like, letting go of everything I ever knew or heard of, you know, yeah. from the system regarding pregnancy and birth, that was difficult, <clears throat> but I did it. And then I read some incredible books. That's basically what I did. My husband allowed me to just lay up in the teepee for that whole nine months reading and yeah, just, it was incredible. So I, did meet one woman um, in the very beginning of my journey who had free birthed, but I didn't really get to talk to her very much. She's actually one of the women who passed a book along to me. Um, and I re I forgot about her until recently, actually, um, when I came across the book. So I was doing all this reading and all of this research, trying not to get, I'm a very anxious person. So trying not to get caught up in that aspect of things. Well, we went to visit my family and my partner's family, and we shared our intended um, birth situation, and we got some really, really harsh negative feedback. It left us feeling pretty drained and defeated, and we made the decision at that point to just uh, kind of mask what was going on on our end, which I don't, you know, looking back, I don't think that was ideal for anyone, but to not let the stress of my family enter my process. It's just how I had to hold it down in that situation. So after I mean, visiting it takes, family, it was, takes, it takes a lot of maturity and skill to be able to stand in your choices within a family, within a community where nobody gets it and where there's fear mongering. I think that especially women's first pregnancies, they very often lie and withhold. And yeah, it's not ideal. And I think for a lot of women, they just like haven't yet learned the skillfulness and embodiment that it really requires to be like, cool, I love you and go fuck yourself. You know, like that's like, yeah. like most new young mothers don't know how to do that in a mature boundaried way, but it's a part of our learning. Uh Absolutely. Especially in such a tender phase of like me leaving everything I had ever known to go be with a man that I hardly knew and totally. start a new life. We had a family member look us dead in the face and say we were neglectful parents already and that we were fucking up and that our baby probably wasn't going to make it and just horrible, horrible things. And so from that point on, we were like, okay, 
we're shutting all of you assholes out and we're just like going to do the damn thing on our own and be very quiet about it. And that's exactly what we did. I had a pretty breezy pregnancy, honestly, the easiest, if you will, of the three, um, probably because I was so young and my body was ready for it. Um, I went into labor at six o'clock in the morning and I labored for 23 hours. I had a birthing pool and I had this beautiful vision of birthing in the pool. That was a funny thing that sets my first birth apart is that I did have expectations. My mm -hmm. second two, I learned, oh, you don't do that. <laughs> like, you're setting yourself up for failure and disaster and you just don't do that. So, And just like attachment, right? Because it's one thing to be like, I'd like a pool there in case I want water. That's like yeah. one way, but it is funny. And it's usually only first time moms that are like, I'm having a water birth. I'm like you have no idea yes. what you're going to like. Yeah. 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 That was me. I was so sure I was going to have a water birth. And that was really the only thing we shared with people was like, yeah, I'm planning a water birth. <clears throat> so I went into labor. I am anemic. So I knew I needed some iron and some boost in that way. And so I went to our little outdoor kitchen outside of our little space and I was cooking myself a steak and holding it down through contractions, like <laughs> keeping my steak going. And my partner and his best high school friend were the only two people on the property with me. And they were like watching me. Cause I woke up that morning. I was like, we're having a baby today. And my partner's friend was like, yeah, right. Like totally didn't believe me. And my husband's like pretty tuned in. So he's like, okay. And like, he was trusting that intuition. Well, I'm cooking this steak and the boys are like, should we do, should we do this for you? Like, are you okay? And I'm like, I fucking got this. Like, leave me alone. Let me cook my steak, eat my iron. And then I'm going to go have a baby. So I got through that. Um, it was probably middle of the day and I was just feeling it so hard. And so I wanted to get into the pool where our water was coming from a spring. So we were having to fill up this huge uh, turkey fryer pot to boil the water to keep it warm because we didn't even have electricity. I mean, this is completely raw land. So that was wild to watch these guys like keeping my water cool or water warm for hours. I was in the birthing pool for nine hours. Mm. And I got to this point where I was so exhausted. I was like, I think I'm done. I think I need to eat something and go to bed. And JD, my husband is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, he made me some pasta. He put on a movie for me because I, I felt like I was in my head too much and I needed like a distraction to like get out of there. Okay, wait, what movie? movie what movie? I wanted Juno, but he couldn't find the DVD. So he put on Knocked Up for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to say like Nacho Libre. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would have been good. No, I needed so like, you, I needed wait, you don't. Pump. So you don't have power. How are you watching a movie? On my laptop. I had like a little separate disc drive that plugged into my laptop. And then we would play movies on that. So, you know, it's distracting me. It's making me laugh. He makes me some pasta. He brings it in. I'm hanging over the side of the pool and I'm like shoveling this pasta in my mouth between contractions. A, sometimes a contraction would come and I'd still have like a mouthful of pasta and I'm just like, ah. Um, 
And I did use cannabis throughout all of my pregnancies. That was the only thing that got me through my morning sickness. And I was using cannabis in the birthing pool during labor. So that trifecta, the movie, the cannabis, the uh, food, I was like so sure I was going to bed. And it was like, as soon as I tried to get out of the pool to start that process of laying down, everything shifted. Um, And I'm pretty sure it was dark at that point. And I'm sitting there and I'm just riding the waves and my partner's outside, like dealing with um, the next round of water. And I go to my little bathroom area. I squatted on some newspaper because that's what we did at the time. I was so sure I had to poop. And I was like, wow, that is not poop. That's a baby. And so I like poke my head out and I'm like, he's coming. Um, That's also something that I've known with all three of my births. My son, before conceiving, we knew it was a boy. Like when we were trying, we knew it was a boy. We already had his name. And he was very energetically present with us. I felt very sure of that. Mm-hmm. And so that was something else that people doubted me a lot on is like when of I would course. say, you know, very early, I'm like, it's a boy. And people are like, yeah, right. You don't know. And people love to just say it was a girl just to mess with me. So, I mean, you I have start... a 50% chance of being right. <laughs> totally. Right. <laughs> and if I'm wrong. Then whatever. But But you're three for three. I am. I am three for three. So I feel pretty confident about it. Yeah, that's getting there. (laughs) Yeah. So I hit um, active labor and my body is just like, get out of the water. So I did. I got out of the water. I had JD put um, some shucks pads down on the bed and we had like a futon mattress, you know, just like that was our bed. And I moved over from the water to the bed. And it just so happened that we had 32 lit candles in our space at the time, which is really fascinating because that day, the astrological sign shifted from cancer being a water sign to Leo, which is a fire sign. And so I thought it was wild that my body like got out of the water and went towards the fire. Mm. And so those 32 lit candles that was the light for my labor and my birth so I hit transition and girl I did not know (laughs) much about transition and I started coming unglued a little bit I mean I had handled the pregnancy and the labor all day so beautifully but yeah I was I hit transition and I was like I can't I can't do this and JD's like baby girl, you got this. Like he's coming. And I'm like, like he's crowning at this point. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. And I'm trying to like suck him back in. I'm like, I can't do this. Well, he's coming out and JD's never seen a birth before. So he's like, he's coming. I'm like, what do you see? And he's like, I have no idea. I'm like, what the hell are you saying? He's like, it could be a foot. It could be a butt. (laughs) I don't know. It could be a rubber chicken. (laughs) Yeah. So I give him my cell phone and I'm like, turn the flash on and take a picture and show me. And so he does that and he like holds the phone up to me and I'm like, get it away. I'm like, it's his fucking head. So it was just his little head like squished, you know, that's why I tell it because the skin was all, you know, it does look insane though. 
It, it really does, especially for your first time. So I, his head comes out with a contraction and it was so funny because I don't think JD really even knew like the direction that a baby would come out. And so he was like a little frantic about his face being right by my butt. Mm. <laughs> it's like, his face is right there. I'm like, it's okay. And I'm just like waiting for that next contraction. Well, he came out into contractions. I never pushed. Not a single time did I push. And that's something that I was trying to do too, because I was very hopeful not to tear because my very young self, I assumed that if I tore, I would have to go to hospital. And I'm like, I avoided a hospital this whole entire time. Mm. I'm not going to go put myself into that situation now. And I didn't know that I would heal better on my own anyway. So I'm really working hard not to push. And I just let that that reflex just work its magic and he came out in two beautiful very consistent contractions his head came out in one and his entire body shot out with the next and I spent a lot of my pregnancy wondering if I was having twins because of how big I was well it was a lot of fluid because when I pushed his body out it was like a tsunami of fluid and like JD had to like wipe his face like it was crazy the amount that came out so I read I read somewhere a long time ago that a woman on average and I don't know if this is real or not but a woman on average at time of birth will lose 25 pounds of matter liquid blood placenta there's a lot (laughs) yeah totally and that is consistent with both of my latter births um my daughter and my most recent birth I did. I had weighed myself like right before birth and then after. And my daughter, it was like 22 pounds. And then with the with my son that I just had, it was 18. So that's yeah, definitely like an ocean. Yeah, totally. So he comes out and I was wildly on my back. Like that was the pos- position that was comfortable for me. And I was like up on my elbows. I wasn't laying all the way back, but you know, I had my um, my feet kind of towards my butt and my, you know, legs bent and he comes out, JD grabs him and I'll just never forget the way he looked in candlelight holding this beautiful, beautiful baby. And he says, here's your baby and put him on my chest. And that is one of the most special memories of my entire life. Mm. Um, so his cord was really short. And so I couldn't like get him up to me, you know, like his head kind of met at my chest, but (sighs) he came out and I'm just like swimming in all of what just happened. And I was getting the shakes really bad. And so I hopped in the pool to get warm and asked. So at the time of my birth, I'm sorry, I forgot this little detail. Two weeks before I gave birth, we had a tiny house, a prefabricated tiny house cabin wheeled in. It's still like, it had RV hookups and stuff, but it's still like we were on a spring water, no power, like wild. So JD had rigged up a hose through the hot water heater in this little cabin to the shower. And after I got out of the tub, I wanted to get in the shower. I don't know. That was just like intuitively what I felt. It wasn't planned or anything. It's just like what I was needing. So he got the shower going all rigged up and making that happen for me. We get out of the pool cord still attached 
And I was so like in that bliss, like that birth bliss period. I don't really remember looking at my son a whole lot until I got in the shower. And that is like where I fell in love with him. Well, this is probably like 20, 30 minutes after giving birth. And JD comes in, gets me in the shower, leaves to go get a towel or whatever, comes back in and he's like, um, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm doing fine. I was in retrospect. I'm so amazed that I was like standing up showering at that time. Yeah. And he said, it is a boy, right? Like we never even checked <laughs> to see if it was actually a boy because that's how like certain we were of it. And so we looked and we're like, woo. Um, so I get back in bed. We let the cord just go white and stop pulsating. And he cut the cord. Well, I still had not delivered my placenta. Well, when he cut that cord, for whatever reason, I got up and started cleaning and what? like doing all the stuff. Yeah. With your placenta in you? Really, yeah. Which, oh my God. It was really unnecessary to do because he went into like cleanup vibe. He was like sterilizing things, like getting bloody messes out of the way, you know, getting ready to put us back in the bed that I had just given birth in and I always explain it as like the craziest high of my life like mm -hmm. there's nothing in the world I can compare it to no substance no feeling nothing it was wild I felt like I felt like my eyes were big and I had so much energy it was crazy he's sitting on the bed holding this freshy baby um we had a deer hide that we were going to put the placenta stamp on. And so we had him wrapped in the deer hide and he's like staring at me and he's like, I don't think you should be doing this. I think you should probably sit down. And I'm like, I'm fine. So I'm just up doing all this stuff. Well, we had this big, beautiful, like ceremonial bowl that I was planning to deliver my placenta in. And he kept asking like, what's up with the placenta? What's up with it? And I'm just like, I don't know. So for an hour, I trucked like that. And then all of a sudden I felt a contraction coming and I put a shucks pad down on the floor and I leaned on the countertop like this and he, he knew what I was doing. And he was like, no bowl, huh? And I was like, nope. And I just pushed and that placenta splat on the floor and like splattered. <laughs> I bet. And like, I'm pretty sure the Bladders are still in that cabin to this day, uh, which we still own. It's out in Oregon. Um, so yeah, after that, I was done. Like after the placenta came out, I felt the way I would have expected to feel mm -hmm. when baby came out. I mean, so but but I, also like there's nothing wrong. You know, it's like you're 23. You are like the wild animal that's just like moving around to get that thing out. It's not conscious, you know, which is very different than how a lot of women, a lot of women will do shit like that, I think, to unconsciously self-sabotage. But it's a spectrum. You know, that's like how you just described it. I don't think like a 40 year old woman would do, <laughs> you know, like I think it has yeah. a lot to do with the youthfulness of just like, I'm going to move around and get this placenta out. I mean, you go on to obviously have more children. My guess is you don't do that again, but I think a lot of women will hear that and be like, oh, that's like wrong. You shouldn't do that. 
but I love the I love that it's like you're high for an hour and then you lean and you just plop out this thing and then it's totally different because there is something very wild animal about that movement you know Oh, yeah. And it did. It, I mean, at the time I was conscious of that and I'm like, wow, I don't know who I am right now. Like <laughs> even the noises that being in labor, I'm like, who is this person? Like, it's so crazy. And all the wild, vast spectrum of feelings that I felt during pregnancy and birth. And this is consistent with all three. Fear is never, ever an emotion I visit during birth. And I am, I don't know how I'm so blessed to have that. But it is a really, really magical part of my process. Especially um, identifying as an anxious person. Oh, yeah. I am extremely anxious. And I mean, heart Which racing. Which is rooted in shape. fear. Yep, absolutely. So, and it was crazy. Like, as I'm walking around cleaning and JD's just sitting there holding the baby, like, oh, my God. I think it's, like, the second time he had ever held a baby in his life, too. And my the the cord, I'll never forget the sensation of the cord slinging between my legs and like spraying blood everywhere, like dripping blood everywhere. So I deliver the placenta. I get back in bed. It was like three in the morning at that time. I pass out. I wake up at 6 a.m. to the sunrise with my beautiful baby beside my beautiful, amazing partner. I seriously... As a 23-year-old man, 24-year-old man, I don't know how he held it down the way he did, but like I could have not asked for a more beautiful situation. The awesome. birth, the labor, him, yeah. I mean, just everything. It was really perfect. And when I wake up, you know, I'm like, I got to pee. Well, mind you, I don't have women in my life coaching me or like supporting me through this process. I'm just doing the damn thing. I didn't know about Perry bottles. So I go to the bathroom to pee and I guess I had a lot of micro tears. I didn't end up tearing. I attribute that to being in the pool, in the pool for nine hours. I think it, you know, cut me really soft and whatever. Maybe I'm just not meant to tear, but I guess I had some micro tears when I sat down and peed. It hurt me mm -hmm. so bad. Yeah. I came out of the room and I was white as a ghost. Oh, no. I was shaking. I could like hardly speak. And JD's like, oh my God, are you losing blood? Like what he's thinking that it's like my iron deficiency. He's like, what is going on here? And I'm like, I just peed and it was more painful than birth. And he's like, oh no, what do we do? And I'm just like, I don't know. And I just like laid back down with the baby and he nursed beautifully. He nursed right away. Um, everything was just so breezy and peachy with him. And like, he's 11 now and he is such a product of that birth. Like if you know, Liam, he is, he is just as magical as his entry into this world. And I could have, I just really could not have dreamt up a more ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. So minus, after minus the peeing fire. Yes, that was horrible. And I had the same thing. It, it felt like a thousand paper cuts. I just like yes, cried it, every time I peed for yep. three days. Yes. So my mother came out three days postpartum. And when she got there and, you know, she's trying to tend to me and care for me. And she's like, where's your sits bath? And I'm like, my what? And she's like, your sits bath. And I'm like, I don't have one. Well, we were like 
45 minutes from the closest like actual town with like big stores Mm -hmm. and so she was like I have to go get this for you immediately and my she wasn't necessarily into the way that we decided to birth but she really showed up strong for me um postpartum good so I had my sits bath finally and that like changed my whole life uh recovery was so so I didn't know in all the research I had done about pregnancy and delivery, I had not done any research on postpartum. I, it just never entered my mind. And so I was very like clueless in that process and felt very like alone and a little isolated. And like, I didn't know what to do at times. And that was really tricky for me to navigate and get through, which I did. Um, my grandmother was actually very sick at the time. And so five weeks postpartum, I flew across the country from Oregon to Atlanta and I should not have done that. I was not ready for that. My body wasn't ready. I ended up in like wheelchairs, like having to get people to like push me through the airport. I was verbally assaulted in Atlanta by a cop, um, about having my boob out breastfeeding in public. And I unfortunately did not know my rights in Georgia. I did in Oregon, but I was just like young, new mom, very tender stage going to see my dying grandmother. Cause it was like her wish just to meet my son. Aww. So that's what made that recovery very tough for me. One being clueless and two, being clueless and not having the support that I really needed. I'm sorry. And then, That's such like, a funny, funny way to summarize. <laughs> like one, I was completely, completely clueless. <laughs> like I had no idea what was going on. It totally. was awful. Who does? So oh, it's it, funny. It took me, yeah, it took me a while to bounce back from that. So we got past that birth, beautiful, magical story. Thought we were one and done. However, Uh, When my son was probably about a year old, I started doing women's circle work and it was all via phone. Um, It was women all around the country and the world and um, these beautiful wisdom circles that I was a part of multiple um, back to back, sometimes multiple at the same time. I even led one at one point and it changed my life. It was like the first time of feeling like I really had like a true like feminine army that I was a part of and that they were behind me and they supported me. And we talked about the most like intimate and beautiful spiritual things. And we talked about birth and like through that work, I felt this little female soul wanting to come through me. And I was very against it at the time. Um, And I think a lot of it had to do with my, my immaturity because I have always really struggled with female relationships and I was just really scared to raise a girl. I did not think that I was ready for that or capable to be quite honest with you. So when it came up for me that this little girl was like trying to come through and I was basically telling her no, and it was creating some very interesting energy in my life. But I told all the women in my circles, I'm like, I believe that unexpectedly later in life, I will end up pregnant with a girl, which I know that there's kind of two ways of thinking on that. Some of it was intuitive and obviously some of it is what I wanted, right? Like it, it wasn't solely this feeling I had, like, obviously I was calling it in in some way or another. 
So cut to my son being um, seven. I think I was seven when I found out I was pregnant. Not trying to conceive. My husband had just switched careers and had just like bought a commercial fishing boat and was gone a lot. So we hardly had any time together at that point. And I was running my business, which I started when I was pregnant with my son. I still run my company. It was birthed in the teepee while pregnant with my son. And I attribute a lot of that creative burst to him because, you know, that being in that portal, it just like opened my mind to things that I had never like felt or seen or thought before. So... I'm in the heart of growing my organic clothing line. My husband just switched careers and as a commercial fisherman gone a lot. My son was like into BMX racing at the time. Um, he was going to a private school. I was running a studio with, I think I had about eight or 10 team members at that time. And we were transitioning from Southern Oregon, planning to move to Eugene so that I could grow my business because I was having hiring issues in Southern Oregon. And I thought going to a college town would help me be able to hire more people and all that. So we were literally like real estate shopping and making this huge transition. And I was doing a flash sale for my business one Sunday and all morning I was like, I think I'm pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. And JD's like, you do this every month. You're fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. And I'm like, go to the store and get me a pregnancy test before you leave. Cause he was leaving to go fishing. And he was like, I'm not doing it. You're tripping. Like everything's good. So he leaves. I finished with my flash sale. And like an hour later, I am like, Liam, come on, we're going to the store. Well, we don't, we never go to Walmart and we go into Walmart. So my son is already like, you know, like we're like, what, are, what is going on here? So we go to the aisle with the pregnancy test and I just really wasn't ready for him to be aware of the situation, but I don't, I don't leave my kids with people. So like my kids are always with me. And so it, that was just how it was going down. So I walk up to on this aisle and like one side of the aisle is like feminine products. And I'm like pointing at things. I'm like trying to distract him while the pregnancy tests are on the other side of the aisle. And I just like grabbed one real quick. And he definitely saw it and was like, oh, mom. And I'm like, oh, please don't be mad. <laughs> so I, go, I love the like, the like you trying to be a magician. Like, look at that. <laughs> so funny. I was like so out of sorts about it because I'm just like first off how did this happen well I know how it happened but JD yeah. was gone so much it's like what when so I take the pregnancy test my studio was just a couple miles from the Walmart I go to my studio I pee on that stick girl I'm telling you those lines lit up so fucking fast like I there was no question like none like I didn't even have to wait the full two minutes or whatever the hell it is so I'm just sitting there like, huh, that's interesting. I like hide the pregnancy test. Don't say anything to my son. I call JD what? and I'm like, hey, hey, guess what? I just peed on a stick. And he's like, oh, shit. I'm like, yep. He said, first thing you said to me, it's a girl, isn't it? And I was like, you betcha. Because it was the little girl that we had, you know, I had always felt. So in his 
path to get from where we were to his boat, he has to drive through the Smith River Canyon in California and there's zero service. Mm. So he says, it's a girl, isn't it? And I said, you betcha. And the call dropped. Cute. (laughs) So I'm just sitting with this shit like, oh, okay. Okay. Here I am. And like, I didn't know from him if he would want to be present when we told our son, but Mm. I just felt intuitively like he would. That's why I just kind of kept it to myself. And he calls me when he gets back in service and was like, all I could think about, all I could hear in my head on the drive down was the name Abigail. And I was like, that's so precious. Like, I'm not naming my daughter that, but I love that you were thinking about that. And so I looked up the meaning of Abigail and it's a father's love in Hebrew. (laughs) Aww. Yeah. So like, he is a very intuitive, um, spiritually developed individual. He's um, got a lot of experience with like chronic healing and He's just a really, really incredible human. And I was like, yeah, so sweet, but no. And I loved that he was really in tune that way, though. I mean, he had no idea what Abigail meant, but mm-hmm. I loved that that was his mm-hmm. and what he came up with. So we decided once I got to talk to him, like he was stunned. I was stunned. And, you know, I'm like, do you want to wait until you're home to share with Liam? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So he comes home. We share that my pregnancy goes on when I was six months pregnant in the heart of the pandemic. This is May of 2020 that we relocated from Southern Oregon to Eugene. Mm -hmm. I wasn't opening a facility. Yeah. I wasn't opening a facility in Eugene yet, but I was gearing up. That's why I was moving up there. So moved up there, heart of the pandemic, Um, did not have the best of experiences um, with being out in that town while pregnant. It was honestly just like very draining and kind of brutal. Um, uh, And to go back to my son, he came at 39 weeks. So it was before my 40 week mark, my second pregnancy, my 40 week mark came and I'm still very pregnant. And because I didn't have to like wait on my son I was like beside myself. So mm-hmm. I finally went in labor <laughs> at um, 41 weeks and a few days or something. And I had this beautiful birth space set up in my house. Um, I had my pool. I had a bed beside it. Cause at this point I know like it could go either way where I will want to give birth. Um, my father was there. He was actually recording the bor- the birth for us because we recorded my son's birth, my first birth, and the video disappeared from the memory card. And we all, yeah. And we always just said, we got to watch it one time and then Weird. there was some technical malfunction. And I've always just said that was a moment meant for us. Actually, my husband told me that because I was distraught about it. And he mm-hmm. was like, baby girl, that was meant for us. And that's it. So it was a very like intimate moment, you know, and then my daughter's birth was so different. I had my really good friend, Sarah, there. My dad was there. My son was in the pool with me when my daughter came out. Obviously, my partner, our dogs, my mom came. So it was a much different situation. But I'm in the pool laboring. My water broke in the pool. 
my water actually broke in the pool with my son too. So at that point I had only had experience of water breaking in water. Well, there was like meconium in the water while my daughter was emerging and my son is really into fish and he's got like multiple fish tanks in his room. He's like, he knows everything about all of it. Well, he's like, and we have this on video. He's like, is that algae coming out of her? And like, we all just lost it. Basically, Liam, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I'm, I'm pushing. I had to push this time, which was very different from my experience with my son. And something felt very different, very, very different. And I just could not figure out what it was. And I, at one point I looked at my husband and I was like, something's wrong. Like something is off or different. And he, he told the people that were in the room with us, he said, you guys know how a hospital has a waiting room? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, make one. And so they left the room and it was just him and I and my son. And he's leaning over the pool, like holding my hands. And he said, do we need to go? And he was asking like, do we need to go to the hospital? And I was like, no. So within a few minutes, I figured out that it was her foot. She was breached. She was playing breach. And uh, so I actually figured that out. And then he said, I said, she's footling breach. And he said, do we need to go? And I said, no, I got this. I just needed to know what was going yeah. on. And then set in the primal, just power wave that again, I looked at myself in those moments and I'm like, who is she? Like, she's amazing. Like, I want to be this person all the time. So I start pushing. My son says, I see a foot hmm. and here she comes. So one leg is out. Her other leg was bent and her foot was like against her butt. Well, I've got the one foot out and my I'm waiting on a contraction and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and nothing was happening. And so I was like, I think I need to start pushing well, that leg that was stuck was really causing an obstruction and like making it very difficult for me to push her out. So after a couple of minutes of trying and just feeling exhausted with it, I stuck my finger up in there and I fish hooked her leg out. And like, it's so funny when I watch the video, you can see the moment like on my face when I fish hook her leg out and I'm like, oh, oh, that feels so good. It yeah. offered so much relief in that moment. So for both of you, probably. Yes, for sure. And like intuitively, I knew that she was very stressed and it's wild again, watching the video, like, who is this person? I'm like, you can't stay here, baby. This is not safe for you. You cannot stay here. And it's because of how long she was spending right there in the canal. Felt her getting stressed. She was fighting me on the way out. She was like kicking and squirming and at one point when her legs were out, I was like, wait, if she's breech, I can feel if it is a boy or a girl. And so I reached in and I was like, I have a daughter. And I kept pushing my little heart out. I have never had to work so hard in my life. I get her 
out to her, just her head is in. And I mean, she's kicking and it was really intense. And I was terrified to go to like that final push to get her head out because I was so sure I was going to tear because, you know, typically I feel like the head gauges you and then, you know, the rest of the body, I mean, the shoulders can be wider, but the rest of the body just kind of, you know, tapers down while I'm like, here, I'm going delivering like the bigger part at the very end. And I was terrified. Well, I pushed her head out and again, it felt so good. I did not tear. I lift her up out of the water and she is very blue, very limp and completely unresponsive. And I still in that moment never felt any fear. I didn't have any feelings of anxiety, no concern. I mean, the you can just see and hear the tension in the room. Everybody was like gasping. And at one point my father says, oh no, because I, I'm pretty sure he thought she was dead. Yeah. Oh, and I pull her, yeah, I pull her out and like, I knew she was okay. Like I'm sitting, I'm like, God would not have brought us to this point to just let it end like that. And I knew that she was okay. I knew that she was going to pull through. So I did suck some mucus out of her face. I did give her a couple of breaths and it took her six minutes to start turning pink. Um, And it was about 10 minutes before she made any noise, which with my son, he never cried. And my husband and I, we weren't bothered by that. We weren't like, he needs to make noise or anything. We just thought like, he's just a quiet, chill little baby. So my daughter comes out, I I get her breathing. Um, My husband actually like uh, stimulated the cord a little bit and that really helps like get her pink. So 10 minutes after she comes out, she finally lets out a cry. And like, it's so cute watching the video. Everyone, it's like when someone pops a bottle of champagne, she starts crying and everyone's like, woo, totally. <laughs> like, knew, knew that like everything was okay. And we have some pretty powerful images. My friend Sarah is a photographer and she was um, shooting the entire birth for us. And you can see like the concerned look on my son's face and just wild wild range of emotions with all of that so um she comes out I sit in the pool with her for a little bit and then we transfer to the bed she was born around six a little after six and I have a really strange relationship with my placenta so my placenta delivery I am a person energetically who holds on to things really bad it's like a I think a toxic trait of mine and it was like pretty wild that that paralleled with my placentas it's like I felt like my body just didn't want to let go of them Uh and so I had her and it was three hours and I had still not delivered my placenta and JD was like I really really think that that should come out and I'm like yeah, it probably should, but like, I don't know what to do or like whatever. So at that time I ended up, I, there was no way I could have made it to the bathroom because I was really wanting to sit to try to push because my body just stopped contracting. So I didn't have any like contractions after she was out to get the placenta out. So there was no way I could have walked to the bathroom. I was in a lot of 
pain and just needed to lay right there in my birthing space. So I requested a bucket and he brings in a five gallon bucket for me. I just roll off the bed. I sit on the bucket and I just gave a really big push and out came the placenta. Um, but it was three hours. So that was a pretty lengthy stint. You know, I thought the hour with my son was long, but then the three hours was pretty wild, but I did not have that high that time that I had with my son. Like I was worn out as soon as she came out. So we have her, she comes out, she's beautiful. She's healthy. She is, we call her hurricane Freya because she is wild. So wild from day one until current (laughs) and okay. Then we're sure we're done. Right. Like when are you going to learn? (laughs) Yeah. Like that's it. Well, in 2022, I had this huge awakening and shift within myself. Um, I had rebranded my business to kind of reflect how much I had changed in life. My daughter had brought this like softness to my reality that I didn't feel like I really had before. Um, I started liking pink things for the first time in my life and everything just softened. And I mean, from like wearing all black all the time to wearing all light colors Wait, is that, and like- is that- like when you attract Meg sister nettle into your life as like the pink goddess (laughs) well not no she was actually a part of new moon we were collaborating before um that happened she was she came in probably about a year before that transition but I mean knowing her and our but now I definitely think she knew that that was coming or like was tuned into that for sure so yeah I'm uh living in Eugene. It takes me about a year to find my space. I opened this 5,500 square foot studio. I have a team of like 20 people. It was madness. I don't, again, I don't leave my kids with people. So my children, I'm homeschooling my son in the studio, training people with- Will you speak to that? Why don't, what do you mean when you say, I don't leave my kids with people? So we are completely away from family. Like when we moved, when I moved to Oregon, all of my husband's family is in like the Midwest and my family was in Atlanta. And so we had zero family members. And I honestly like don't have a ton of like super close friends in person. And I'm just kind of a, I'm a mama bear. My claws stay out with my babies. And I just don't like, I don't have like sitters and stuff like that. So my kids are always with me, even as challenging as it was to be like holding a baby, breastfeeding, training all these people, homeschooling my son and like doing all of this stuff simultaneously. But is it It like, is it a lack of trust and like even willingness to trust someone outside of your Cause like, I know this is a thing. I it, see women talk about it in the membership and I don't relate to it at all. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. Like, I want to understand it more. Like why, why wouldn't you want to make it easier and call in a woman that you build trust with who supports your household as you're a hardworking mom of two? Absolutely. And I would, I would come to that understanding a little bit later, very, very briefly, but there's two, there's two things uh, there for me. One childhood trauma that makes mm. me not trust gotcha. a lot. Okay. Two, 
I am a very selfish mom in the sense that I don't want to miss anything. So at this time, you know, my son's a little older and more mature and like very self-sufficient. So that was kind of a different story, but I had a baby. I don't want to miss the first word. I don't want to miss the first step or crawling or any of those moments. I'm just not willing to give up the space to miss any of those things. And I consider myself the anchor parent because my husband is gone so much. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to be this just like full on career oriented person that like didn't have my children. Like I just couldn't do it. Well, at the very end of it, of me being in that space and things got really hard for me. I had a really tough time postpartum, which I did not experience with Mm. my son, like emotionally. Yeah. And I kind of lost grip of reality there for a little while. And it really, uh, Cinnamon took quite a hit because of it. Um, It was really rough time. And I had this team full of younger women who didn't have children and they just couldn't relate. They didn't understand And I was not very supported in that time. And then my husband being gone and it was just a very rough and like unexpected journey with all of that. But well, it's an interesting combo. And I say this totally lovingly, but you weren't supported and you also weren't willing to be supported. Yes, absolutely. I I was so stubborn with not willing up one thing or the other. And right. Supports me either way. Like if I want to be a boss, babe, solely career oriented he will hold it down for me if I want to be a stay-at-home mom he will hold it down for me so like he's supportive of whatever I want to do but it was me like it Mm. was all me I know that I got in my own way for that whole endeavor that whole experience but postpartum emotions are so different than anything I've experienced in life and like I just was not I just wasn't I wasn't ready and I, mm. I was not handling it well. And so things started to kind of crash and burn on me. And I realized like when we moved to Eugene, it was not because I wanted to live in Eugene. It was because I needed to a bigger staff and like more people and a different, uh, you know, Eugene's a great place to have an organic clothing line. And so we wanted mm. to have a little retail space and like, you know, mingle with the community and whatnot. Well, I very quickly realized that was not what I wanted. It was a five-year plan. It only lasted three years because we were like, we need to get the hell out of here. This is crazy. So at the end of my time in Eugene for six months, when I was cleaning out my facility, closing down that space, um, packing up our house to move, all of that, I finally found this incredible girl. Her name was Sophia. And she was my kid's nanny for about a six-month period. And that did definitely offer me a lot of relief and like transitioning out of this huge dream I had for my business. And then being like, this is not what I want at all. And having to like completely like reprogram my mind to be like, what is it that I'm being called Mm -hmm. to right now? Or like, where am I headed if this didn't work out? I mean, I sunk so much time and money and energy. It was, it was wild. It was a lot to, to shed and let go of. So I did find a little ease in finding someone that I trusted and she was so amazing in every way. I could not say enough beautiful things about Sophia. The kids loved her. She showed up in all the ways that I needed her to. And that really offered me the support that I needed during that transitional time. 
So at the end of 2022, as I'm closing down my space and like, just like, what the hell am I doing? Where is life taking me right now? I started on a, a healing journey because I have all of this childhood trauma I'm completely aware of, but there's, I feel like there's tools that I don't possess to process some of it, despite me trying very hard and educating myself and working with people, working with myself. I, I was just stuck with it. And so I started working with this healer and I was purging a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I went through this wild spiritual awakening. At the same time, I was working with this incredible woman who was a um, trainer, nutritionalist, hormone specialist. Well, I didn't realize that a ton of my issues that I was having with my health, like adrenal problems, thyroid problems, all of this was stemming from my hormones. So I started working with her as like a, a self-care kind of thing. Cause my husband's always like, you need things that are just for you. And so I signed this contract with her to like, get my body strong, get my hormones straight and like really understand nutrition in a way that I never had. And that did a number of things for me parallel with the spiritual stuff I was going through. I was also like optimizing my health for the first time ever. So my body is in great shape. Like my abs were popping. My booty was popping. I was eating super clean and amazing, really high protein diet, high protein using fats, like stuff I had typically tried to avoid because I thought it was bad. And I stepped into myself as a woman in a way that I had never had. Um, very like a lot of sexual energy came up for me and it was really powerful. And I was being very brave and very confident <laughs> in my intimate time with my husband. And next thing I know, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> completely. The rest of history. Yes, completely unexpected. But like also the things that I was you know, embarking uh, the journey I was embarking on with my partner intimately, like, obviously, that's where that was going to lead to, you know, because we're not like trying to use any form of protection or whatever. So, yep, find out I'm pregnant. And I'm just like, wow, this is where life was leading me because I had already shut down my shop. I, you know, got rid of my team, just closed the storefront. And I was like, if I had not done all those things, and we knew we were, wanted to move, if I had not already done all of those things, I would have had to do it in my first trimester. And let's be yeah. real, like first sucks and like, it's hard. Yeah. So as soon as I found out, I was like, wow, this is, this is what was happening. This is what I've been asking what was going on. Well, I, again, tell my husband, he's gone fishing. Um, I think I'm pregnant. Go take a pregnancy test just to put your mind at ease either way. How old is Freya? I go to she was two. Well, she's three now. Her birthday is in August, so she'll be four this summer. So, and she was already weaned. Um, <clears throat> she hadn't been nursing for a while. And yeah, I go pee on another stick and I'm like, oh boy. And I just send him a picture. I don't even call this time. And he's like, all right. So we're separated when we find out again. And I'm just like 
honestly like kind of void of emotion like you would have thought that I would have been like oh shit but I was just like hmm, I'm pregnant like I looked at the pregnancy test put it down and like started eating chips like I was just like in a parking lot of a store I'm just like okay uh, that's it so we weren't together for a couple weeks after that mm -hmm. which was really challenging because my son didn't know and my son is with me 24 7 like we are never apart at the time we were because his nanny was had them at some points but it was really hard to keep that from him because I am very transparent and honest with my children so m my daughter was like barely talking and so I'm like I can talk to her about it. She's not going to say anything to anybody. <laughs> Do you think that in hindsight, it was worth not telling Liam just so that JD could be present in person? Like, was that that important? I don't know. With, with Freya, I think it was because it was his first younger sibling. It wasn't expected. It wasn't planned. Mm -hmm. And he did. But it also it wasn't weeks. Hard. Sorry. Yes. He, he was upset. Like when we told him about my daughter, he, he just got really still and quiet. And we were like, what are you thinking, buddy? And he was like, new baby, me. And that reaction, I think is what encouraged us the second time to be together again, mm -hmm. um, which he had a different reaction to, but I don't know. It was, yeah. it was hard to keep my, butt, but you know, as a family, like put laying that all out, like that did feel good to me. Mm -hmm. So, and we actually drove down cause I couldn't wait on JD to get home from fishing. Cause I was just like wanting to explode. And so we actually drove to the coast where he was working so that we could get an Airbnb and all be together. And to be completely transparent when I found out that time, I didn't want it. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm not doing this. Um, I talked to a lot of women about how to stop the whole situation um, with plant medicine. And it was so funny because women that I connected with in that time, whether they were moms or not, they were all like, what are you talking about? You're going to have this baby. And ultimately I, my husband was like, we're doing this. Like, let's do this. We got this. And it was all fear-based um, thinking at that point. So, um, in my pregnancy, my first trimester, we had not told any of our family members yet. Uh, family came out to help us pack up and move from Oregon because I had found my dream tropical farm in Florida, which I am here living now. Hey so beautiful. Yeah. Fun. And my husband's fishing. It's time to pack the house up. And my mother and father-in-law fly out and my father-in-law and myself are packing up the house loading the moving trucks my mother-in-law is like keeping the kids and they have no idea I'm pregnant because we were going to be together with my parents in like a couple weeks and we wanted to tell them all together because that wasn't something that we got to do living across the country with my first two mm. so we're keeping it from them my father-in-law and I are packing up the house. I'm carrying these huge totes. I'm like feeling like I need to puke every five minutes, having to hide it. My mother-in-law's like, why are your boobs so big? I mean, it was a mess. My son yeah. is like, you're going to tell them today. You can't be moving all this stuff. We oh got to get God. this under control. I'm like, 
like, it's fine. We've got this. So we moved the house. I don't know how I got through that. We fly first class from uh, Oregon to Arizona, where JD's parents were at the time. And because we're, we're flying out with the kids and then the boys are moving the trucks to Arizona. Then my dad's flying into Arizona, driving the trucks to the South. Well, first class flight, I'm having to say no to free booze. And my mother-in-law's like, have some champagne, have some, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just not feeling it. I Classic. Just, and I, yeah. Somehow we got through. You're it like, I would did, take she... some weed though. <laughs> yes. I would. Do you have a pen? Please. please. Yeah. That was pretty rough. So we get to Arizona, my parents fly in and it's wild because we never have all the family members together like that. And we had yeah. bought scratch off tickets, scratch offs to let them all know. Beautiful. <laughs> we have the reaction on film. It was great. So then we have to take the journey from Arizona to Georgia driving first trimester, terribly sick. Yeah. It was awful. It was, it was one of the worst experiences ever. So we get here. I pretty much isolated myself for the duration of my last pregnancy. I was just a hermit. I didn't really do anything with Sinu Moon. I wasn't doing anything creatively. I was trying, but my head just wasn't in it. Um, really intense pregnancy. I was very, very sick. I was very immobile at the end because just like my body was just hurting. And mm. um, so 40 weeks comes around. Um, I'm, I'm like, sorry, okay. but you come to MRF. I meet you. Yes. Thank yes, you, ma'am. Thank you. Oh my gosh. What a you didn't yeah, isolate so... yourself for one week. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It is so true. And what a profound thing because Meg, I mean, this was, I decided that like a couple weeks before the event, Meg is like, you need to come. These are your people. Like you, you've been doing this since you were young and like this is what all these women gather for and you had a meg irl right and no no so cute no yeah so i'm like fuck it i'm gonna do it and i was so supported like jd was like yes you should absolutely do this my mother-in-law bought the ticket for me um and meg was like the thing that got me to go is she said my dream is to go to matriarch rising about six months pregnant. Well, I was six months pregnant and I was like, man, okay, I'm doing it. So I came, I met all of you beautiful women. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I could go on and on about that, but I won't right now. And that definitely offered me some support and something spiritually and energetically that I didn't even know that I needed desperately. Mm -hmm. So after that, I really did come home and I was just a hermit. I mean, I hardly left the farm. The kids and I were just here. My husband is back and forth between Florida and Oregon working, which was really hard and challenging. Luckily, I'm closer to family now because they're all in Georgia. Um, so yeah, my 40 week mark comes and no signs of labor. And I'm like, yeah, do you do before you get into like the very end, do you want to speak at all to I don't know the right word, like just kind of like the unusualness or the discomfort of what goes down in your third trimester, because I think that from what I can remember of, of our texts, you know, I think a lot of women 
would would take what unfolded or presented in the end of your pregnancy and use it to enter the system, you know, and yes. and use your symptoms as grounds yes. to opt out of um a sovereign birth. And so I think it could be if you're willing, I think it would be helpful to describe some of what goes down towards the end because you were really sick and you were alone and the lightheadedness and the, I mean, I'll let you speak to it, but, um, there was, I know Meg was concerned. I don't know how concerned you were, but, um, yeah. Would you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I had some kind of infection at the end. I still am not really sure what it was. I had um, like green discharge, mucusy type substance coming out of me. My pelvis hurt in a way that wasn't just like pregnancy pain. Mm. Um, I can't really like, I don't have words to describe it in this moment, but it was very painful. When I would try to stand up and move around, I was extremely lightheaded. I was on the verge of fainting many times before I really learned my limits um yeah it was rough I was I wasn't really concerned I knew I wasn't going to enter the system I know that that's never really? going to be a situation for me um because if something were to happen you know like we all know birth is a risk no matter what what scares me surrounding birth is a hospital uh fluorescent lights weird fabrics on the bed a stranger <laughs> touching my baby I'm coming like over out. my like, dead body will non-organic yeah. fabrics touch my precious skin. <laughs> the hell. Get your polyester blanket oh, away from funny. me. Okay, question though. So like an infection, you know, infections just to be really blunt, like do sometimes kill babies. Right? That's yep. a yep. that's a that's sometimes not always, but that is sometimes part of uh, uh, a fetal demise. And so tell me a little bit about that because that's, that's a big deal. I know you took all of this seriously. And, and as I'm sure you're very aware, this idea of like, it's just not going to be my story that I enter the system can so easily be like misinterpreted as reckless or careless. And so I would love to hear just kind of how you grapple with this because also spoiler alert, everything is fine. She has the baby, baby's healthy and great you know, so thank God. And yeah, will you just like flush that out a little bit? Because it is a, it is a heavy, I mean, walking with an infection and green discharge in your third trimester is intense. Yeah, definitely. So my mindset on it was if anything is going to go awry, it's going to go awry in my home and the intimate setting of being with my family and being in a comfortable space because I don't want to give birth, which is a beautiful thing in a hospital. I definitely don't want to lose a baby in a hospital. And to be completely honest, if, if that were to be the outcome, I could not live with myself. If I thought it was at the hands of someone else, if, if that was from my own decisions and my own intuitive shortcomings, then so be it you know, that's a potential outcome for any birth is losing your baby. And so it was just in my head that if it were to come out that way, if that were to be the outcome, 
I would want to be at home and I would want to be the one responsible for all decision-making. And so I felt really confident in that. I mean, I was very uncomfortable and I knew something was not, you know, right, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't willing to sacrifice all of those other things to put myself in the system, just, you know, see if I could get some help. So I tried a handful of things, uh, a lot of plant medicine for sure. But the thing that ended up helping me is, um, it's a little graphic. My husband took a needle and thread and strung some garlic, some raw garlic on the thread. And I inserted it inside me. Um, I think one time I think I wrapped it in cheesecloth and then the other time I just went for it and shoved it in there and I would leave it overnight or like for a big portion of the day. And each time I pulled the garlic out, there was like, it, yeah, it was like covered. Yeah. It was so gross. Like the smell was disgusting. The visual was disgusting. The feeling was disgusting. Bummer. But after, yeah. But after two or three sessions of doing that, and it was so funny because there's this one point where I was like, oh, no, I can't find the string. Oh, yeah. no, is it Classic. just up there? What are we going to do? And then, then we like found it in the bathtub or something later. And it was just, it was hilarious. But yeah, that is what ended up pulling the infection out of me was the garlic, which I've used that yeah. for yeast infections so, before. I really- so the, the infection seemed to be- like very local to your vagina. It did it it wasn't like all up in there. Yeah. I mean it, it and if it was, it it pulled out. So I'm not exactly sure where where it was all located. Mm-hmm. But the garlic thing worked. And Amazing. after like three or so treatments of that. I was fine. I mean, I was still like uncomfortably pregnant, but like the infection was gone. I wasn't feeling feverish anymore. Um, my mobility was a little bit better because the lightheadedness also subsided a little bit uh, with with getting rid of that. Um, so that really shifted things for me and um, got me in a more positive space at the end of that pregnancy. But um, it was a Wednesday and my daughter does ballet and my husband was getting ready to go to ballet and I lost my mucus plug. And are you sure it wasn't a clove of garlic? (laughs) It might've been a little chunk of garlic. (laughs) So yeah, my mucus plug comes out and I'm like, shit, he is not going to go to dance. Well, we had hyped it up that day because my, we're just like here waiting on this baby and my daughter really needed that. So I was like, take her. I'll be okay. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm not going. And I'm like, you're going to go, you're going to take her and we're going to be fine. You probably well, got I ended up, Yeah. I ended up laboring for two days mm-hmm. after that. So that was on Wednesday. Baby wasn't born until Friday. So obviously if I had been in the system, they would have cut that baby out of me real quick, like, or at least, you know, suggested it because of the timeline, the infection, Um, so I go into labor. Finally, I, I psyched my family out multiple times. This time it's just my husband and my kids. He had filled up the pool for me, I think three or four times. And, you know, then I had to have him drain it because it just, it wasn't time. So I finally go into labor. He's cooking me a chicken pot pie from scratch. Cause that was like, you know, I needed some nourishment 
whether I was still laboring or postpartum. And everything was just so chill because it had been going on for so long. None of us really knew like where it was headed or when it was going to happen. So That's my water baby break, in summary. Yeah, seriously. So this was 42 weeks. So my first birth was 39, second 41 and some change. And then this one was 42. Exactly. My water breaks and I'm on like this little bed beside my birthing pool. My husband's right there in the kitchen. He can see me. And this is my first time having my water break outside of the pool. Mm -hmm. My water breaks and the entire cord spills out. And when it comes out of me, it was like U shaped, right? Well, like as I looked down at it, the cord spiraled onto itself and like twisted itself up. And I'm looking down and there's a ton of meconium, which again, if I was in the system, they would be like, oh, nope, umbilical prolapse you know, meconium, we got to get that baby out of there. And when I, I'm like, whoa, the whole cord came out. And my husband goes, well, that's not good. And I just look at, <laughs> you have a video of, of this birth. And I just look at him and I was like, why? Like, just like, what, what's wrong? Why is this not okay? Like, so there's nothing wrong here. Nope, not at all. Never, no fear, no anxiety no stress. It's How wild. much of the cord fell out of your vagina? A lot of it, probably like two and a half feet. With your waters opening? Yep. Though I think, yeah, the, my waters broke and then the cord was immediately out of me. And so at that point he was like, why don't you get back into the pool and so I shift from my bed to my pool right there and I felt the need to start pushing and every single time I hit transition I'm like I can't do this I must be in transition because I'm selling myself I can't do this and it's just because the sensation is so so intense at that moment so I start pushing and baby comes out with a few contractions and I pull him up out of the water and I could have never facilitated this intentionally for my birth, but the, the way my um, pool was positioned, the evening sun was pouring into the pool. And when I was in labor, I was mad at it. And I was like, I wish the sun would get out of my face. And I was like, had my face towards the wall because it was bothering me so bad. Mm -hmm. Well, when he came out, and he's just, this beam of light is just shining on him. And I pull him up out of the water and he's completely still. He's completely silent. He's a little blue, but not as much as my daughter. And he's definitely like super floppy and limp. And I'm just staring at him. And he did open his eyes and they were the most wild color. They were like this lavender with these like red specks in them. Whoa. I've never seen any... I'm just sitting there in the sunlight, like holding him, like swaying him back and forth in the water. The water was green. There was so much meconium. It was insane. Like I thought there was a lot with my daughter. Didn't even compare to this. So he's like, can you get out of the pool and let me get you cleaned up? Because he was, you know, concerned about me sitting in like this. It looked like swamp water. <laughs> and so I get out and oh so beautiful we moved to my bed 
Um, my toddler decided to throw a temper tantrum when I was crowning. Yeah. So that was really magical. <laughs> yep, and just been like, seen that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I get for having a toddler at my birth. And unfortunately, my son was trying to tend to my toddler while she's throwing a temper tantrum. So he did, he missed the actual birth no. like baby so many out with so many moms who you know have a toddler you know th they'll like want to talk it out with me and I'm like look either they will be asleep the entire time or they will be screaming as you push the head out it's pretty much it's one or the other yeah it's true but in retrospect <laughs> if I could go back and change anything I wouldn't change a thing I would have had her there my son does a lot of photography, um, especially for my brand. And he was photographing the birth and we had a video camera going and yeah. he actually took an aerial shot of my toddler laying on the floor, throwing a temper tantrum. So that's great to have in like the birth album. Mm -hmm. We get a, We get a kick out of that. And I'm like, I hope you give her shit about that when y'all are adults. Like you, you made me miss my brother's birth because you were freaking out. So um, we immediately moved to our bedroom and that's where I'm at now behind this it, with this big, beautiful headboard that just makes me feel like a queen for whatever reason. And we get to the bed. My son took some photos for me. We're all getting in some skin to skin. Um, my husband comes and lays beside me on the bed. My toddler crawls on top of him, like planks on top of him and passes out. Like in, as soon as the birth was done, like she was so overwhelmed with it all. And yeah, my recovery was definitely unique that time. I had a lot of like abdominal pain, um, which you and I talked about. You suggested I got magnesium oil, which I did. Um, it lasted for probably about a week. Um, I didn't get that glorious rollover on your belly right after birth moment because of how much discomfort I had. Like, are you but... referring to, to after pains or it was constant? No no after pains. It was constant. It felt bruised and sore and mm. swollen. And I just, I really couldn't pinpoint what it was or what was causing it, but it was pretty intense. Um, my husband is so incredible for me postpartum. He gives me all the time and the space I need three home cooked meals in bed a day as much snacking and all of that. He preps my sits baths. He gets my pads ready changes my bed sheets, makes the bed. I mean, everything. He is the most incredible birth partner I could ever, ever ask for. And he has proven that three times. And I didn't even know what an umbilical prolapse was. And so when that happened, you know, had I known, maybe I would have been a little fearful or a little bothered by that in the moment, because as soon as I start researching it, like a week right. postpartum, it was like most women who have an umbilical prolapse, like the, the biggest outcome is like, um, uh, it affecting their brains and like a lack of oxygen and all this stuff. And so I'm like, well, we got none of that going on. Like he's so perfect. How, he's helped. how long from the time that you saw your cord, out down and out to the time that he was out of your body how much time lapsed about 45 minutes yeah yeah because I've heard stories like that in the free birth world that if a baby is close that it just has a different um set of possibilities you know than if the baby is not close which makes sense to me right 
yeah and he came out I mean you know he had those first few moments where he was like not super responsive and I honestly just like wanted to watch him transition very slowly um but my partner was definitely getting a little antsy and mm -hmm. so that period of time was really unique to kind of sit in that space and like you know how how should we move forward with this but we got through that and he's beautiful he's healthy he is an exact clone of my husband <laughs> it's hilarious when he's holding him it looks like he's holding his little baby self but you know of my births you know my first birth was so beautiful and breezy and then this the second two are they're not complex, but the medical, the medical world would view them as complex. And that's why I'm so interested in sharing my stories is because after I had my daughter, I was like, okay, I had a footling breach. <clears throat> that was wild. If I have another pregnancy, it would pro or another birth, it would probably be more like Liam's <clears throat> not the case. And I can't help but wonder if God gives me these processes because he knows I'm going to uh, execute them this way and not put myself in the system. And then I get to share these stories with other women because I'm right. like, look, ladies, unexpected footling breach. I did it. My daughter's amazing. Umbilical prolapse, tons of meconium. There was also tons of meconium with my daughter. You know, these would have both merited my baby being cut out of me. And look, so both of those, here. both of those situations are, are considered undeliverable. You know, yes. like, like yeah. it's not like yeah. we don't even, you know, so yeah. that's, what's so fun about the sovereign birth world is like, obviously women have been birthing forever and the wide range, the spectrum of normal, you know, like we're just moving the needle into this, you know, I often think about this phrase, like the great remembering it's like, we have cultural amnesia because of obstetrics takeover. But before that, and I can't know with my like mental knowing, but I can use logic to deduce <laughs> that your birth stories would be considered completely normal, uh, even uninteresting, <laughs> right? It's like you went yeah. into labor, you had a baby, a uh, baby survived, and now you have a baby. Like that's pretty much yeah. the story, right? And yeah, so yeah. I agree with you. I do think that um, it's so important to tell these stories because they are provedly normal births and we don't have that in mainstream narrative. Uh, and so women are groomed to be not just terrified, but to succumb to incredibly risky, spiritually and physically risky, you know, interventions all the way to major, major, major surgery that then I know you know this, but I'm just going to follow the thread that then results in most cases around the world, a requirement to subsequent surgeries, which then results far too often in maternal death, in, in serious yeah. hemorrhage, you know, all this insane surgical stuff. And so we have lost, you could say, or, or damn near lost the, the needle of normalcy because of the takeover. And so we're out here on the fringes you know, talking about what is normal and having lived to tell the tale. And that's pretty, um, it's pretty powerful because it's inarguable. It's like, you know, any, any idiot that knows nothing could say, oh, you got lucky. That's fine. Except why do I now, why have I, why have I heard multiple stories 
of cord prolapse and then a healthy baby. Why is that? Why do I, you know, like, why do I know about all these stories? And I'm not saying it should be taken lightly in or anything like that. And I'm certainly, I would never suggest when talking about this stuff that it doesn't or can't, uh, result in a, in a, in a fatality, because I also know those stories, Mm -hmm. you know, so, but, but that is what you're pointing to. Like birth is risk, life is risk. And when your consciousness and your whole family's, um, creed, you know, is to experience normal birth, you, you wind up walking with a far wider range of stories like you exemplify. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I'm pretty sure I would have had two C-sections at this point if I had been in the system for those, for those births, but mm-hmm. I, I did it. I let my intuition and my body speak to me and guide me. And that's a question I get a lot from women is like, how do you tune into your body in that way? And I really don't know how to answer that because that's just how I'm wired. And so it's not something that I have to think about or work towards. It's just how I'm wired and programmed. And that's just how I handle it. I would give yourself a little more credit than that. You choose it. It's become so normal to you in choosing it that it might feel now like the water that you swim in or whatever. But, you know, you also like lived in a teepee on raw land you know, like the lessons and, and life choices that come with being willing to get that stripped down and that raw and that rugged and that connected to, um, the basics of life, you know, that, that does something big to a human, you know? So, so I don't think it's just that you're wired that way. I think it is also that you have chosen to wire yourself that way, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's definitely not been uh, like a, an intentional path, but man, it feels pretty amazing. And then I've just really held these stories, like my son and my daughter, the first two births, I really held those. And I didn't really talk about them a whole Mm. lot because people were so critical. And like, I had not found my people, like y'all are my people and y'all understand this and you live it and you breathe it. And so that was the exciting thing when, when Meg connected me to free birth society and all that, I was like, wow, like I've got some stories to share. And like any woman who's like nervous or scared, like I want to be there to like help strip them and get them to that primal point of just like, you know, in retrospect, if I could go back and not read all those books and not mm. know what like emergency outcomes were, I think that my intuition would have guided me even more, but mm. You know, there's like a fine line between like doing your research and knowing your facts and then getting caught up in that fear-based mm-hmm. thinking. And all I can say is just listen to your body, tune in, you know, let it guide you. It always will let spirit guide you and birth well, is and- birth and it happen one way or another. So and <laughs> ride research, those waves. And- research and facts are like, okay, like what even... What even does that mean when we know how meddled and subjective and curated research is, you know, I would like piggyback that to, to be like what we've seen with this podcast is like, listen to the women who are the women who are mothering in a way that you're attracted to, who are birthing in a way you're attracted to and what are they doing and what do they have to say? And, you know, quit listening to, you know, like the assholes you don't respect 
like, like stop doing that, you know, and who are the or, women? In- or, e- or even men writing book on books on childbirth. Love it. I mean, it's satire, yeah, like, right? No. I can only oh, assume yeah. that's satire. <laughs> yeah. Just no, like, that's not it. That's not where it's at. So don't. It just don't. can be so much better. You know, maybe it's something, you know, but it it's, it's the women are what's up. The women with the lived experience is really like the whole point. And it, it's the most impactful, like inarguably, you can see that with even what FBS has done. It's so impactful. Okay. We have to go. Yes. Thank <laughs> as you. Mu- as yes, much as I can do alert. this. What? We're already planning number four. So. Adorable. As, as I said, spoiler planning number four so hopefully I have another story to share sometime mm-hmm. <laughs> so cute I love it thanks for having me Emily I really appreciate you and appreciate all your support at the end of my pregnancy and postpartum you really mm-hmm. showed up for me in a strong really really appreciate that especially showing you all the hideous pictures of us to make you laugh <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that and the sunning so beautiful <laughs> yeah, exactly. all right can't wait to see you this summer thank you mama thank you bye hope you enjoyed the show today. You can support this podcast by donating to it on freebirthsociety.com and leaving an awesome review on whatever platform you listen on. The more reviews, the more visibility the show gets. So let's spread the word of sovereign birth. We've always got a lot going on at Free Birth Society, and you can find out about all of it at freebirthsociety.com, at freebirthsociety on Instagram, and opt in to my newsletter below in the show notes. We offer courses on free birth, authentic midwifery, and the blood mysteries, as well as one-on-one coaching, in-person retreats, and of course, our annual women's festival. Our exclusive vetted private membership is definitely something to check out if you're looking for a community of wise sisters. Together we rise. We must speak our stories, claim our lives, and support one another. This is the living revolution, and I am so grateful to be in it with all of you. I'll leave you with our epic Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your We choose love, everything with intention, death, ascension, I will fly and bring her back from the start.